Now we've got him. What's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Give me just a second. I don't think I was prepared. All right, let me try it again. Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me. My countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. We are not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it, and today we're going to talk about some random musings, uh, cogitations about some Facebook comments. And actually, it's one Facebook comment, and it's a comment that was from YouTube. And I'm learning some new techniques, and I'm trying out some different things that I've learned. I hope the sound is good today. Um, I feel like I'm coming in a little bit quiet, but maybe it's okay. And I'm very interested to see how it sounds in post. I really like the aesthetics of this setup. I know I know you don't tune in to see what I look like, and, and the sound is probably the not the most important thing to you. I, I know that you tune in to listen to me talk. But I, I want to make sure that we do have some good aesthetics and um, that the sound is is bearable and stuff like that. But I don't like the mic being right up here in my face. I like um, I like the I like the mic to be right here. And this microphone is actually good for that. But I've learned some stuff that I think where I can I can set it up this way and it and it still sounds good. Yeah. So that's all I've got. And uh, let's get into this. What's going on? Uh, that's it, Austin. Just holler. We'll hear you. Uh, Rusty Kirby uh, says it sounds good here. And uh, we are not, we are cogitators, but not kin to the Tater family. Uh, you have com commentators and uncommentators. Uh, I like regular taters. Uh, I don't like them commentators. All right. Uh, let's get into this. First off, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, let's do the, the stuff that we do before we get into the podcast. Remember, if you want to support the podcast, look at all the show notes. Uh, in, in a moment, I'll put the tip jar up on the screen. But for right now, we want to hear a word from our sponsor. Contact Lindsay Dotson, lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com. Are you part of a congregation that is seeking effective ways to spread the word about your event? Well, look no further. Lindsay Dodson specializes in designing modern advertisements for churches or really any organization that she feels like she can design a modern advertisement for. Whether it's flyers, postcards, or social media graphics, Lindsay has got you covered. Reach out through a private message on Facebook or send an email to lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com. The email's on the bottom left of the screen. For more details, don't miss this opportunity to have your message resonate far and wide, contact Lindsay Dotson, lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com today. And y'all bear with me. I'm going to be nursing this coffee mug for quite a bit. I've got a tickle in my throat. It's that time of year, sinus drainages. I've taken medicine, so I'm not dead or dying, but <coughs> we're just going to have to deal with some stuff like that. Okay, now, good morning, Wayne Vaughn. Um, yeah, like John, listen all the listen all the taters, agitator, investigator, commentator, instigator. All right, 
Let me get in here to uh I want to do I'm going to I want to do an overlay here. So we're going to have three sections today. We're going to talk about two comments that I received and we're going to talk talk about one post that I put and the reason we're going to end with that is because I put a post on Facebook that really resonated with folks and especially it resonated with gospel preachers. If you have one, if you put a post out on Facebook and you have one person private message you saying, Hey brother, I appreciate your post. It describes what I've going, what I'm going through or what I've gone through. Then, you know, you've, you've hit a, you, you've struck a nerve with more than that one person. But I had several people private message me and say, you know, Tony, I really, that, that post, it, it describes exactly what I've been through. And even one person said it describes what they're going through at the moment. And my brethren, these things ought not so to be. In fact, we may read John, James chapter two about blessings and cursings coming from the same mouth. Um, sakes alive, that's a really bad thing. Um, so let's get right into it. Tater tots. That's it. Hey, hey, Alabama. All right. Um, First off, let's start with this one. This one's easy. Uh, can y'all see that? You know what? I don't even know if you can see it really well. Um, I don't have a way to zoom in on it. I'm going to leave it up just for a moment. Uh, so I put out a long time ago, I stole a uh, a video off of TikTok. You can do that on TikToks, on TikTok. Anyway, long story short, it was this guy that was wearing this flat build cap. He's got face tattoos. I think he's got a gold tooth. The dude's been in prison, okay? And he has given his life to Jesus. I think he is woefully mistaken in several areas, but he has a mind for hermeneutics and logic, Okay, Rusty says, I'm on a computer, so yes, I can. And Wayne Vaughn says, this looks good. Listen, if you're watching this on an iPhone, you're probably not going to be able to see that comment. But if you're watching it on an iPad or a computer, you probably will. All right. I, I should have I showed you the YouTube video, or the video that I stole. But anyway, uh, it's about the reason for Sodom and Gomorrah's destruction. All right? Now, forget about that. It, it got... Tens of thousands of views. I don't think it hit 100,000, but I think it got close, which to me is a big deal. I mean, like, that's a lot of views. Um, but people like, well, you've got tattoos. Or one, one person said, why, are you, why do you have a white and black checkered floor like the Masons? And I'm like, dude, white and black checkered floor is not exclusively about the Masons. But all these people were focused so much on the way this dude looked on the outside and I pulled one of them and this person says all the while you have a tattooed face a tattooed face and look at the exclamation points uh four exclamation points an exclamation point after the a a period after the tattooed I mean like what is your deal here's what I responded with and I called the person's name and I haven't, I haven't put out the, I haven't blotted out the person's name here because you know what? They're there. It's out there on public. I said, 
Listen, if I have a face tattoos, am I going to hell? Can I not be saved? I've been reading the Bible, trying to find the verse that says I can't serve Jesus or speak the truth if I have face tattoos. Can you help me? The implication is, can you help me find that verse? I did find some verses that command to judge with a righteous judgment and not on appearances. I also found verses that command not to be respect to be a respecter of persons in relation to the faith of Jesus Christ and how that God sees not as a man sees. Ooh, there's a typo. For God looks at the inner man. Anyway, maybe you could help me with that scripture that condemns me to hell for face tattoos. Folks, this is this is indicative of the kind of stuff that you get on Facebook. But sadly, it's indicative of the kind of pearl clutching that you get from members of the Lord's church. Why do people find feel the need to tear other people down? Why do people feel the need to hold other people up to their standard? Folks, listen to me. I want you to lean in and listen. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians. And if you've listened to me for any length of time, you know exactly where I'm going. First, well, I don't know where I'm going. First Thessalonians chapter four. All right. Let's see. I'm going to start to verse nine. But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love, to love one another. And indeed you do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia, but we beseech you that you increase more and more and that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk honestly towards them that are without, that you may have lack of nothing. That's 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12. Folks, there are some things that we need to just mind our own business about. The only standard we need to use is God and his word, not men. And John Exum says, uh, people don't ask for what people mean. Instead, they jump on them before understanding what the person actually means. And people type stuff that they would never say in person. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, that's my golden rule of Facebook is... We, we're going we're gonna to highlight this comment. It's a good one. And incidentally, uh, I don't know who this is, but it says Facebook user. That means that they're watching in one of the groups. I'd rather come before God with a tattoo on my face than to go to hell with a non-tattooed face. Now, before anybody says anything, I don't know who this is. It just says Facebook user. But I'm willing, I'm willing to stand for this person and say they are not condoning going out and putting a tattoo on your face. In fact, if you're listening to this and you're like, you know what? I've been thinking about getting a tattoo on my face and I wonder what God would think about it. God don't want you to put a tattoo on your face. Neither does Tony. I bet you a dollar to a moldy donut, not a soul in this live stream wants you to put a tattoo on your face either. Not because they're judgmental, not because they want your harm, because they they want the best for you. And regardless of your intent, 
you're going to have problems for the rest of your life if you put a tattoo on your face. If you don't believe me, notice the comment that we're looking at today. It affects everything in your life, and and small-minded, weak people judge you harshly because of it. So don't do that. It's 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 a net negative. It doesn't add the value to your life that you think it adds. And and listen, if you want to go get a tattoo, go get a tattoo where you can cover it up with clothes. Get a tattoo that that only your wife or well, if I, I, I'm a male, so I speak from a male perspective. Go get a tattoo that only your wife or your husband can see. But once you start putting tattoos on places that you can't cover up, then you have entered into a subsection or a subculture in our society that regardless of how popular people want to say it is, it still affects you negatively in the long run. Okay? This is not about saying, oh, let's just go get tatted up. This is about matters of judgment and because we love you if you're thinking about getting a tattoo on your face we are going to implore you please don't do that but we're also going to be honest with the scriptures and we're going to say you know what there's not a book chapter and verse that explicitly uh, prohibits it in other words there's no legislation there so it's not ipso facto it's not inherently sinful or it's not legislatively sinful But don't do it. Now, that being said, what if somebody who was in that lifestyle finds Jesus and they repent of their sins, they turn to God, and they bring forth fruit befitting the repentance? Are you saying that they have to spend, in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars and go through hours of painful surgery to get those tattoos removed? Are you placing a barrier to entry of the kingdom that God himself has not placed? I ask you, my dear brother or sister, those of you who are so uh, up in the air and judgmental about people with tattoos, this is, a, this is an interesting and a deep question. Is it sinful to be tattooed or is it sinful to get a tattoo? In other words, is it sinful to have a tattoo or is it sinful to get a tattoo? If it's sinful to get a tattoo, then once I turn to God and bring forth fruit for me for repentance, I just have to endeavor not to ever get a tattoo again because the tattoo I currently have then isn't sinful. I've been forgiven that. But if you make the case that it is sinful to be tattooed, in other words, have tattoos, be people who be a person who is tattooed currently, then you are saying that one of the prerequisites for coming to God is to go have those tattoo removal surgeries. Why do we have so much trouble minding our own business? Hey, 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 excuse me. <laughs> I promise this is only coffee. <laughs> Why do we have so much trouble minding our own business? Because I think we're human beings. Okay, this is a good this is a good comment and I hope it's in good faith. Leviticus 19:28. Here it is. I'm going to go to my trusty rusty Esau and I'm going to I'm going to read it, but I have a feeling I know what it says. And I have a feeling that All right. 
You shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor print any marks upon you. I am the Lord. Do not prostitute thy daughter to cause her to be a whore, lest the land fall to whoredom. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Regard not them that have familiar spirits, and neither seek after the wizards, oh, so on and so forth. Um, here's the thing. Do you think this is our mail? To this person, Judy Hurley, do you think this applies to us today? Do you live your life by the old covenant? If you do, you've got a problem because let's see, let's, let's go up. Let's go. Up, well, let's go to the beginning of the chapter. Let's go to the beginning of the chapter. And the Lord spake unto Moses saying, speaking of all the congregation of the children of Israel saying unto them, ye shall be holy for I am holy, saith the Lord your God, for I am holy. Ye shall fear every man his mother and his father and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do you keep the Sabbath? Sun, or Saturday night at 6 p.m., do you turn off all electrical devices and check out from the internet and only do things by candlelight and stuff like that? Turn you not unto idols. Well, that's probably not a issue okay if you offer sacrifice of peace offerings unto the lord ye shall offer it at your own will it shall be eaten the same day do you do you sacrifice animals as peace offerings to the lord and when you reap the harvest of your land thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field do you have a field when you, when you reap the harvest of your land, do you leave the corners for the people to glean? All right, what's, what else? There's some other stuff. Um, I'm not even go, going to go looking at all this other stuff, but do you, all right, this is important. Hold on. Do you eat pork? Do you eat catfish? Do you only eat that which is considered kosher? Think about that. So the point is, Judy, I don't. Yes. Okay. So then Leviticus 1928, that doesn't apply. Because if you, if you, if you, if you don't eat or if you eat pork and catfish, if you don't sacrifice animals to God, um, what else? And Barry, uh, Mammoth Spring Church of Christ, he, he's, he's, he's a step ahead of me. That's where I was going next. I can't remember all the questions that I asked. But if you, if you answered all those in the negative or the positive as they were needed to be answered, then Leviticus 19.28 doesn't, doesn't apply. Uh, Mammoth Spring Church of Christ. This is Barry O'Dell, my friend. Leviticus 19, if Leviticus 19.28 applies to us today, then so does verse 19. Yeah. Ye shall keep my statutes. Thou shalt not let thy cattle gender with a diverse kind. Thou shalt not sow thy field with mingled seed, neither shall the garment be mingled of linen and woolen come upon thee. And as Barry says, you can't wear a polyester cotton blend. 
you can only wear pure cotton or I guess pure polyester. But, and incidentally, as I was reading there, you can't, you can't cut the corners of your beard if you're a man. So tattoos are absolutely, let me, let me get you off blast here, Judy. Sorry. Now I got to find the, anyway, I know I spoke very, very intentionally. It's not that I'm coming at you. It's, it's this, this shows the, the issues that are kind of in Christendom today where I don't know if people just haven't learned it or if there's been a, a, a it, it hasn't been taught from the pulpits or from the Bible class lecterns. But there is a line of demarcation between the Old Testament and the New Testament for a reason. The most misunderstood page, <clears throat> the most misunderstood page in any Bible, in my opinion, is the center blank page that divides Malachi and, and Matthew. Romans chapter 15, verse 4, Paul writes, For whatsoever things are written aforetime are written for our learning that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Well, if then I go to the Old Testament, I want to know what God desires of me. And there was a, right here, I wanted to put this one on there, Wayne Vaughn. It absolutely is scruples. Um, oh, hello, Diana Harden. Good to see you. Uh, let me, let me, so I want to, I want to read this comment right here that's on the screen, but let me read John Exum's comment, please. Um, for indeed you do practice it toward all brothers who are in Macedonia. Oh, I just read that first Thessalonians four, 10 through 12. Um, yeah, sorry, my throat. Um, now, what was the, oh yeah, it's right here on the screen. It is unwise, but not sinful. I think that being judgmental of all of a person who, who <coughs> I think being judgmental of a person who may have a tattoo is as bad or worse than having a tattoo. Yeah, um, I, I think that I can Bible that comment. I think that's a true comment. Let me let me explain. First off. John 19:11 that proves that there that sin is gradient in nature. In other words, there are some sins that are worse than others. Go read John 19:11. Where it's where Pilate, it's where Jesus asked Pilate or Jesus tells Pilate that the person that uh betrayed him committed the greater sin. The context is the sin that Pilate was committing. Now, where was I going with this? Oh, yeah, this. Uh, th let me put this comment up here so I don't get sidetracked. Hello, Missy Malone. Good to see you. Happy birthday! I saw you. You, you recently had a birthday. Um, all right. So we we we've already laid the foundation that there are some sins that are worse than the other. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23 about the scribes and Pharisees. I can't remember that the, the, the verse itself, but Jesus says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You compass land and sea to make one proselyte, but you make him twofold more a child of hell than yourselves. And then notice Matthew 23, and I remember this pretty easy because it's 23, 23. 
Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint, anise, and cumin, and you leave undone the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faith. These ought you to have done, and not to have left the others undone. You warn you, scribes and Pharisees, you blind guides, for you strain at a gnat, and you swallow a camel. Folks, it is worse to violate justice, mercy, faith than it is to violate mint anise cumin. Putting a tattoo mark upon your body, if it were sinful, would fall into the realm of mint anise and cumin. So let's say let's say tattoo, let's say getting a tattoo is sinful. Let's say having a tattoo is sinful, but the how I bring forth fruit meat for repentance is only so far as I can actually afford to have that tattoo removed or covered up. Then it would be a worse violation not to treat that person justly and with mercy than it would be for that person to actually have a tattoo. I believe this 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 verse right here is is absolutely this verse. This comment right here is absolutely true. It is unwise but not sinful. I think we can prove that pretty easy. I think that being judgmental of a person, which the way, I think the way the person is using judgmental is I think that being condemning of a person who may have a tattoo is as bad or worse than having a tattoo. And I think that I 100% believe that that is true because of what the Bible teaches. Could you do an episode where you discuss the post regarding the treatment of preachers you made the other day? I think that would be a good discussion and needed. I'm actually going to finish this podcast with an overview of that post. We may expand it out. I'm not sure. Um, I know a lot of people message me about it, and it really hit a nerve. So here's the thing. With this with this post right here, with this comment right here, uh, where am I at? Design. Yeah, sorry. With this one right here, I, I was I was I was pretty rough with them. If face tattoo, if if I have a face tattoo, am I going to hell? Like you got to answer these questions. Can I not be saved if I've got a face tattoo? In other words, <clears throat> do I have to do I have to spend tens of thousands of dollars removing my face tattoo? Listen, don't go out and get a face tattoo. Tattoo. God don't want you to get one. I think I can. I think I can. From my study of the scriptures, from from my understanding of how the world works and how God set things up, God don't want you to deface your face. <laughs> I am a little bit facetious here, ain't I? I've been reading the Bible trying to find a verse that says I can't serve Jesus or speak the truth if I have face tattoos. Can you help me? Incidentally, this person has never responded. I was kind of hoping they would. Don't be judgmental like this person, please. That's not good at all. Now, so that's just that's par for the course. That's what you get. We need to make sure that we're not like that person. 
if we're going to judge, we need to judge with a righteous judgment. Now, you're not going to do everything perfectly. Somebody walks up to you at the congregation and they have tattoos everywhere. You're going to side eye them a little bit because that's human nature. If they look that much different than you and I don't, I mean, right, wrong, or indifferent. If a person has a bunch of face tattoos, neck tattoos, tattoos that can't be covered up with clothes, then they are showcasing, they are advertising their poor decisions in the past. You can't change that. You can't change what that communicates. But what we can do as Christians is whenever those intrusive thoughts come up or we want to judge this person harshly, we can use the Christian virtues found in Second Peter chapter 1 and we can bring this down where we need to be. You know what? Let's read, let's read the attributes of love in 1 Corinthians 13. That wouldn't hurt us a bit here because that's the standard. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, King James says charity, but I'm going to say uh, 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 I'm going to say love. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am become a sounding brass or a tinking cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. So the first three verses is telling the people in Corinth, it don't matter how good you are in the church. If you ain't got love, it's worthless. My son got a tattoo of a scripture. You should have seen the guy trying to spell Philippians. Ooh, that would scare me to death, Scott Beck. <laughs> he should have got a he got a, he should have got a verse from Acts. <laughs> okay, I shouldn't I shouldn't make light of that. Uh, oh, Facebook user, it's Ted Knight, and I made this comment that you've been discussing. Cool. Awesome. I wonder how many we have assisted in their walk with Satan. Oh, good grief. What a brutal comment. <laughs> I wonder if that's, that's got to be from Ted, too. That just has the, that just has the ring of age of, of, of wisdom. I wonder how many we have assisted in their walk with Satan because we have been so condemned condemning of them for some matter of judgment way more than we'd ever want to admit Ted. If that is Ted, I'm sure it is. Um, and then, uh, Wayne Vaughn says in time past, I have been looked down on just for having two. Yeah, I can imagine that. I can imagine that. All right, let me do this real quick. I said, I was going to do it earlier. Um, the tip jar, if and if and you want to donate something, you can, and it's right there. And if you want to donate to another place, Patreon or buy me a coffee, that's in the show notes. Now let me get back to the First Corinthians four five. I'm in First Corinthians. I don't know what four or five reads. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring the light of the hidden things to darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. Yes. Yeah, we're not the... So, on one hand, we're, we're commanded to judge, and on the other hand, we're commanded not to judge. That means we need to do a little bit of scratching the surface and figure out how those two terms are being used differently. 
nothing wrong with that. But um, I want to read the rest of this uh, chapter 13, and we're going to talk about the attributes of love. That's right. That verse has been, uh, yeah, there's probably a good reason that verse is stuck in your head. All right. Love suffereth long and is kind. Love envieth not. Love vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Love thinks no evil. If you see a feller with a face tattoo, do you think that he is currently a man of low moral character who makes poor decisions? Or do you immediately assume that regardless of the situation in life that brought him to the decision to make that, to, to, to put a tattoo on his face, he is a man of high moral character because you have met him in the Lord's church. Something to consider. One is loving, one is not. Love rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Do you spend time getting to know that person that looks differently from you, that has different scruples than you, that has tattoos or something like that, and get to know him and the truth of his character? Or do you, based on a surface judgment, make a prejudgment that's not based on truth? One is loving, one is not. Mm. This just hit me. One is loving, one is hateful, one is Christ-like, one is Satan-like. Love beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Folks, oh, excuse me. You cannot be loving. You cannot have the attributes of God if when you see a man with face tattoos and a Bible you think that the face tattoos disqualify him from being a man of God. You can't hate and go to heaven. Yeah, I mean, well, that's 1 John 3. You can't hate your brother and go to heaven. All right, what's next? I think we've got that and covered as much as I feel like we need to cover it. Let me go to the next comment. This is one that, that broke my heart. This, let me get this, let me get the caption off here so we can read it. So I recently did an article about the Get Well Church of Christ and the closing of the Get Well Church of Christ. I did a live stream. You can go watch the live stream. I don't, I'm not overly critical about Get Well Church of Christ. I take the closing of the the Get Well Church of Christ as a warning to us all that it doesn't matter how big the congregation is, the congregation is not too big to fail, and that a congregation can be 500 members and effectively be dead. It just takes a lot of years for the rotting carcass to be so small, it, 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 it won't support itself. Such happened to the Get Well Church of Christ. Right, wrong, or indifferent. The reason it happened is because of the elders and the elders could not look to the future and see how things were going and make the necessary changes. They were highly and romantically involved with the current way of doing things, and they they did not change with the community around them. And so I made that point 
And I made the point about the shortcomings of the congregation that caused the closing of Get Well. And I got a lot of pushback from folks that were highly offended. And my response is, I don't care. I mean, like, I, I've, I've, I'm, I'm, I can see reality. And I've seen it happen to other congregations. What happened is the Get Well Church of Christ was a white-collar, affluent group of people, congregation, in a white-collar, affluent part of Memphis. And then as Memphis grew, the great white flight happened, and all the, all the white-collar people went out into the suburbs, and the inner city expanded. So now Get Well is no longer in a ritzy, affluent part of town. It's in the ghetto. So what do you do? Do the people that live on the quote-unquote other side of the tracks not need Jesus? There were people traveling for a long time. They were scared to be in the community, but yet that's where the church was located. Listen, listen to this comment, and I want you to listen to the bigotry and the elitism in this comment. The area where the building is located is bad too. You had shameless people going there to ask members to take them to buy breakfast for them. Not only that, but the neighborhood was pretty much ghetto and people didn't feel safe. Too many hobos with bad intentions roaming around. I mean, I'm glad you I'm glad you know the hearts and minds of men. I'm glad you can prejudge these so so-called hobos and their bad intentions. And then here's the biggest cop out I've ever heard. The universal church will never be destroyed. Okay then, so it doesn't matter what we do with the local church? Well, evidently not because here's here's the nihilistic response to that so-called truth or that truth as they're using it. But biblically speaking, no local church is meant to last forever in any given community. I want to I want a book chapter and verse for that. I want a book chapter and verse for that. And they go on to say, if this wasn't the case, we'd still have the church at Corinth, Ephesus, etc., but we don't. Look. <laughs> That's a non sequitur. So because congregations die and, and wither away, then no local church is meant to last forever. That doesn't make any sense. The Get Well Church of Christ has done what it was supposed to do. It was time for the doors to close. Now, I'm going to be brutal here. The Get Well Church of Christ did not do what it was supposed to do. The Get Well Church of Christ was supposed to serve the community. It did not that's why it's gone. I, I don't care who you are. I don't care how that makes you feel. It's brutal. I get it. But the Get Well Church of Christ did not do what it was supposed to do because it did not serve the community. It was time for the doors to be closed. Now, that is the truth. It was time for the doors to be closed. All right. Let me get to the chat. Um could the problem be that the pulpit be the pulpit sometimes as well? Preachers are to preach the truth. People come to hear the truth. 
not Joel Osteen motivational talks, just my opinion. I mean, it could be, but here's the thing. Anytime an organization fails, it's the fault of the leadership, period. Anytime an organization fails, it's the fault of the leadership. If, if you have a retail, let's say you have a Walmart. You have a Walmart in your community. And that Walmart is constantly going into net negative sales. In other words, they're not meeting their quotas as far as sale is going, and they're not making money. Do you fire all of the employees and keep management, or do you have a change in management? Who's responsible ultimately? Well, the first thing you do is you change the store manager. Then you go up the line and figure out what's the problem. Yeah, John says, I'm just thinking out loud here. I'm speaking toward those who bring in false doctrine and such, not to small congregations or the like. Yeah, Get Well's problem was not false doctrine. Get Well's problem was they weren't a local church. Get Well's problem was they were a satellite congregation of some other imaginary church somewhere. Now, what I mean by that is I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that Get Well was a second campus. Get Well was a church that was trying to be a white collar affluent church in the ghetto. We can't do that. That's like oil and water. And I say this, and it's brutal, but here's something you can think of. That's it. Football. Do we fire the team or the coach? It's a good question. You don't get rid of the whole team. Now, don't get me wrong. Okay. Let's, let me be fair here. If you have a problem player on the team that's dragging the team down, then that player gets fired. So yes, it is possible, but what, who is responsible for firing that player that's dragging the team down? The coach, the management. If you have an elder, excuse me, if you have a gospel preacher that's a detriment to the congregation, who's responsible for getting rid of that gospel preacher? The leadership, the elders. So even if a gospel preacher comes in and starts preaching false doctrine, whose job is it to fix that? It's the elders. And if that guy won't, I mean, it's, you can't be an elder unless you have the ability within you to shut, to stop them. I, I was going to say shut up the mouth, but I think, the, I think the King James says stop the mouth of the gainsayer. You've got to be able to, to, to quell that false doctrine. And if the guy, and if the preacher won't repent and change his doctrine and change his ways, then you've got to be man enough to get rid of him. So if you keep a preacher for too long that teaches false doctrine or is divisive and the congregation suffers, it's not the preacher's fault, it's yours. And it's like we've got, I remember a few years ago, my buddy uh, Tyler Jenkins made a post about pretty much talking about this and how elders are responsible for a failing congregation or some such. And uh, boy, People got on to him, and I'm like, how did elders 
all of a sudden become this untouchable demographic of people that were beyond reproach. And it doesn't matter what they do. You had to fawn over them and all this, that, and the other. Look, an eldership is responsible for the congregation. If a wolf comes and destroys all of the sheep, whose fault is that? It's the shepherds. All right. Let me let me pull this up where I can see it, and that way it's not all over your head uh, or all over the, the screen. So the area where the building is located is bad too. I'm like, yeah, but people live there. That was the whole thing whenever I would put out that content about the Get Well Church of Christ, and I was like, they weren't serving the community. And everybody, well, the community was bad. I'm like, so they don't need Jesus? Go read the end of the book of Luke. Jesus said, hey, listen, you need a sword. You, you're, you're, you're going to go out and you're going to be evangelist, and you need a deadly weapon because people are going to try to kill you. Are we only supposed to evangelize the good parts of town? You know, I've been told that before, going out door knocking. Don't door knock over there. That's the bad part of town. Well, well, why why can't I? Well, because if we convert anybody from there, we're gonna be, we're gonna experience a, a loss. We're gonna be experience a net negative. We're gonna have to end up taking care of them. They won't be able to donate to the coffers. The very idea. The area where the building is located is bad, too. Man, go kick rocks. You had shameless people going there to ask for members to take them to buy breakfast for them. You know what I hear when I read that? At the Get Well Church of Christ, we didn't, we didn't even have to go door knocking. God sent people to us. Well, they were shameless people. They were just trying to get one over on the church. Yeah, so what? Does it surprise you when people in the world sin? What I hear when I read this, you had shameless people going there to ask them members to take the to take them to buy breakfast, is you had sinners from the community coming to the church and engaging the brethren. So what you do is you take a group of brethren that would be willing and able to do it. And you meet there, and every Sunday morning at about 6 a.m., you have breakfast. Maybe three times a week if you can. You know what would have been better off for the community? All the money that you're spending on the lectureships and stuff like that, spend it on community outreach and three times a week have a breakfast, have an after-school program, stuff like that, and get people in there that can actually be in the community and not look at the people in the community with so much disdain and disgust that it's communicated through nonverbal communication, and it makes the people of the community feel like, hey, we have a local church here, and it's here to serve the community. This comment is the reason congregations have shut their doors all across the United States. Folks, I know that there's a lot of people who loved the Get Well Church of Christ and the people in it, and there's been a lot of really good people that have been preachers at the Get Well Church of Christ. 
What good's it do them? Ho, 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 ho. Oh, my, my, my. They wouldn't buy them breakfast. And they probably wouldn't then come. They probably wouldn't want them to come to their potluck. Yeah. A absolutely. Oof. Oof. That's rough. But it's true. Folks, the quote-unquote bad part of town need a church. Here, here's the question that I ask. i I, I got to finish this thought. Then I want to spend the last few minutes on this comment that I put out the other day. All right, I'm, I'm shutting this. No, no more comment on this. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not looking at this comment anymore for the Get Well Church of Christ. We're just going to finish this up and go to the next one. Think about the congregation where you worship. What if it winked out of existence tomorrow? How would you be affected? And how would the community be affected? If your only answer is, well, everybody in the community that worships here would have to drive 30 minutes to worship, then there's no reason for your congregation to exist. Think about that. If the answer to the question of how would the community be affected if the congregation shut its doors tomorrow, if your only answer is then the people who worship at the congregation would have to drive 30 minutes down the road, there's no reason for your congregation to exist. Scott Beck says, say it again for the people in the back. Yeah, I don't know if he's talking about my comment or he's talking about the Facebook user's comment about the fellowship meal. Either one works. I am going to say it again, though. If the congregation where you worship shut down tomorrow, how would it affect the community it, it was in? If the only answer is the people who worship there would have to drive 30 minutes to go to worship, then there's no reason for the congregation to exist. Do we do we think that we are better than the than others as the Pharisees did? Do we think we deserve salvation and others don't? This attitude should not be so among the Lord's people. Absolutely. All right. <clears throat> Some brutal words for thought today. Oh yeah, number next. Uh oh. No, no, no. I can do this. I can do this. Bear with me just a second. I want to go to Facebook. And I'm going to do a screen share. I'm going to go on my, I'm going to go on my dill pickle. Where is it at? All right. See more. I wonder if I can. Nope. It won't let me. All right. I don't know how to zoom. Bear with, bear with me. I'm trying to zoom. Back, forward, reload, print, cat. Well, it won't let me zoom. Oh, well. What I'll try to do is I'll do the, I'll go to share screen. I'll share Facebook. No, window. No. Window, Chrome tab, I want to share the Facebook. 
Oh, it's not letting me do it. Okay. Well, let me do this then. We're just gonna we're we're just gonna read the we're just gonna have to read it. Boy, this makes for some riveting comment uh, content, all this dead air. Um all right, let me read this. It is sad, but because of weak leadership, there is often an adversarial relationship between the local preacher and the congregation, or at least some in the congregation. These are often those who rule by proxy through the eldership. Woe unto you if you are an elder and you think your job is to smooth things over when a member comes to you with a complaint about the preacher, or anyone for that matter. Hell is going to be awfully hot for you. Scripture has already ruled on how this should be handled. You have no authority here. God has already spoken. In this case, your job is to protect the preacher from the predations of these weak and sinful individuals. More often than not, these critics need to be withdrawn from anyway. It is not, repeat, not the criticism that is the problem. It is the attitude of, of entitlement to think that their contribution and attendance is valuable enough for them to leverage in order to get what they want. If you are currently going through anything like this, my prayers are on your behalf. Just remember, the great avenger will exact justice on your behalf. You may take pleasure in that. You may also take pleasure that you are in the company of great men who have gone before you and have suffered similarly at the hands of weak people. Now, here's the quote that I stole from somebody else that inspired the message. This actually has nothing to do with anything that I'm currently going through. When a minister is abused and wounded, there is much collateral damage inflicted on the minister's marriage, children, health, peace of mind, as well as his faith, his retirement, his idealism. Abusers rarely, if ever, understand, much less care about the extent of the damage they do to a minister. Other church leaders who allow this to happen need to realize the extent and breadth of the damage they permit through their passivity. Guy Greenfield, Ph.D., the wounded minister. I have no clue whatsoever if this guy's a, a member of the Lord's church or what his uh, spiritual condition is. But that's, I'm telling you, that's, I've had, I, I, I had four people, okay? I had four people reach out to me. And either it's something they're going through right now or it's something they've gone through in the past. And two of those people are no longer in full-time ministry <coughs> because of this. I was talking to Aaron about having a series where we bring in gospel preachers that have been with a congregation for 20 years and upward and interview them. Talk about the rocky road in the beginning. Talk about the problems that they've had to work through. Um, 
I think a really good question to ask in an interview like that to, to a person that's been a member of that congregation, uh, to, to a person who's been a preacher at that congregation for 20, 30 years or so. Did you begin to be a preacher that was worthy to be at that congregation for two decades or more? Or did you have to be molded into a preacher who was worthy to be at that congregation for two decades or more? I'm telling you, folks, I am very, 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 very fearful that the reason we have the adversarial relationship with preachers and congregants that we do is because a misunderstanding of the role of elders juxtaposed with ministers, gospel preachers. And I'm not talking about ministers as in a way everybody should be a minister. Every member of the Lord's church should be a minister, should serve. But I'm talking about a minister in a formal setting, a local minister, a local preacher, the evangelist. There are two verses the verse that applies to the role of the preacher is, or the, the elder is this. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Take heed unto thyself and unto the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Folks, elders take heed to the flock, and to themselves. But what about the gospel preacher? What about the evangelist? That's 1 Timothy 4.16. Your preacher is not a pastor in any sense of the word. Your preacher shouldn't do pastor things. Preachers take heed unto themselves and unto the doctrine, and they make sure they continue in them, and in doing so, they'll save themselves and those that hear them. A preacher's job is to study the Bible and to teach what he knows. It's not to, it's not to be a personal individual, a personable individual. In fact, you, a good preacher, you don't even have to like him. You need to leave him alone and let him study and let him prepare his lessons and let him teach you. And then you have the elders. They're the ones that go out among the flock. They're the ones that shepherd the flock. So often we have a problem with roles. Preachers do the job of elders. Elders do the jobs of deacons. Deacons don't know what to do because nobody's ever told them. And the members... They're scattered to the four winds because they don't have a scriptural hierarchy of leadership. Tony, what are some of the things people complain about to their preacher? Is it primarily topics preached on? Uh, sadly, not primarily. Most of it has to do with what they wear, what they look like, the car that they drive. Well, I can't believe you went in that restaurant to eat. It's it's hypercritical stupidity. And listen, it's stuff like 
Well, I tell you something that happened to me. I was preaching through all of the parables. And the elders at that congregation set me down and they said, hey, we've had some complaints from some members. And I said, okay, what are the complaints and who are the members? Of course, they wouldn't tell me. They want you to to preach more gospel sermons. The last eight sermons I've preached has been from the gospels, the gospel accounts. How much more gospel do you want? I said, tell me what a gospel sermon is. It was nebulous. They had no answer. I said, so you're asking me to do something on behest of people that don't know what they're asking. You don't know what they're asking, but you want me to make a change. Well, what change do I make? Tell me how. Tell me what a gospel sermon is. And I explained to him, I said, listen, when I get up to preach, I don't preach to non-believers. I preach to people in the church. That's, that's what the sermon is for. Sunday morning service, that's not an evangelistic endeavor. That's liturgical service of the new covenant priesthood. That's the temple gathering of the old covenant the analog to the temple gathering of the old covenant. You don't let Gentiles in there. Now, granted, we don't keep Gentiles out of the auditorium. We don't keep non-Christians out of the auditorium. But when I preach, I don't preach for the purpose of non-believers in the crowd. I'm aware that they're there, but that's not the purpose for which I preach. So that's one thing. It, it's it, I'm, I'm, This is going to be hard to hear. <coughs> This is going to be hard to hear, but the problem with criticism of a gospel preacher from the congregants is the congregants don't have enough baseline knowledge to even form a worthy criticism. You don't know what the job entails. It's literally the same as Monday morning quarterbacking the professional team that played on Sunday. Good. Uh, we got some new folks in. Uh, good to see everybody. Um, let me. There's there's a there's a comment that I've missed that I want to go back and get. Bear with me. I got to find this comment. That's it. Oh, yes. The the elders need to be the ones to go to Bible school. In my opinion. And I don't care if, if you repeat this and you repeat it in a negative light, you're going to go to hell unless you repent. Because I have a great appreciation for my alma mater and have a great appreciation for these Bible schools in general. I think these, I think in the beginning their heart was in the right place, but I think what they're doing now, they're turning out pseudo pastors for pseudo denominations to, to, to fill spots in a pseudo pastoral system. I don't think they're turning out gospel preachers anymore. All right, hold on. Well, where? There's the comment I'm missing. I want to. Right here. It's from David James Stafford. Sadly, 
Sometimes an elder's wife rules through proxy. So many treat the elders as an HR and make their complaints instead of following Matthew 18, 15. Yes. Let me tell you something. If you have an eldership and a complaint comes to the eldership about the preacher, it's the eldership's responsibility to tell that person, we have no authority here. You have a problem with the preacher. God has already ruled. Here's what you do according to God. You go to the preacher. Well, the preacher's not very approachable. Then it's not a big enough problem. Go kick rocks. Go sit down, shut up, and do what you're supposed to do. Well, Tony, you can't talk to people like that or you'll run them off. There are people who need running off. Think about that. Go look at Jesus and look at his ministry. When you, when you start tallying how many people stuck with him versus how many people he ran off, how many thousands were in attendance at the feeding of the 5,000? At the feeding of the 5,000, you only counted men. So how many men, women, and children together were there? So you go from that to the day of Pentecost, there's 120 of an upper room. Folks, Jesus would not be able to keep a job in our local congregations. Some people are some people are goats. Some people are tares. We don't have to mess with that. God knows their hearts and it'll be dealt with on the day of judgment. But when they show you who they are, then you have to practice church discipline. Some of the best preachers I've known have nothing more than a high school diploma. The Bible is easy to understand most of the time. I don't need to know the opinion of a man from the 1600s. I'm all for preaching schools, but there's simply no need in the modern era for a school of theology. I, Jason, I disagree. We absolutely need schools of theology. We need, we, we need, yeah, that's just, yeah, that, that's just true on its face. We need schools of theology, but what has come down, what is, what has started to happen is I'm afraid that because the shift in demand has happened, the supply has made up for it. And so, like I said, what, what most congregations want now is not a preacher. They want a pastor. Now, they don't give him the title pastor, but they make him do everything that a pastor is supposed to do. And so you have an issue. That, there's your problem. And, and yeah, the, from my experience, we need better learned elders. They need to know what they are getting into before they take, take the position. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So... I've gone about seven minutes over. Um, I think maybe I'll hold off here on this post about the adversarial relationship between a preacher and the congregants, and we'll work this into uh, to a Christianity Now episode. Maybe we'll try to get a guest or whatever, but the thing about it is, here's a good illustration. 
The elders are the shepherds. They're the ones that's out and amongst the flock. They're the ones tending the flock. All of that good stuff. They're the ones leading the flock. Well, then what role does the preacher play? He's the sheepdog. He's the one through study of the word and adhering to the word, preaching the word, he keeps the flock going in the direction where they're supposed to go and gathered together. Folks, Titus chapter 2, bear with me just a second. Titus chapter 2, um, the last, ah, come on, where's it at? Verse 15, Titus 2, 15. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. The things that the preacher is supposed to preach, he's supposed to speak and rebuke with all authority. He's supposed to preach the word. He's supposed to be in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. The preacher is not in charge in lieu of elders. The preacher is not in charge when there's elders. The preacher's not in charge of anything at any time. The only thing the preacher does is make sure the word of God gets a voice. And if the word of God is not followed, he is to rebuke publicly the eldership that is not following it. And we'll talk more about that when we bring when we when we fill this out some more. Me, Aaron, and we'll try to get a guest. Anyway, I like what Tri Cities has done. They are a school of preaching and Christian development. They want to focus on the church as a whole and not just preachers. Scott Beck says, appreciate your thoughts and comments, Tony, and for going online after Aaron and not making us choose between the two of you. LOL. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's right. Every other week, <coughs> every other week, Aaron has his two by two. Sometimes we have some over, overlap. Sometimes he don't get done right at noon. The preacher's responsibility do not, I'm going to, that, that emphasis is mine. The preacher's responsibility do not include visiting and calling the brethren. You are correct that you may want a pastor without, without the title given. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what people want. And and again, that's what our preaching schools are turning out. In in the in the in the in the class preacher and his work at Memphis School of Preaching, I didn't learn how to be a preacher. I learned how to be a pastor. I learned how to I learned how to go around and shepherd the flock. I have I have I have stopped doing that. Now, does that mean that the folks don't know me? Does that mean that I don't go build relationships? God forbid. I still do that, but I don't, I don't have a schedule where I have to go make three visits per day, every day of the week or anything like that. It's, it's natural. It's grassroots. It's organic. But if you're an elder, you better have a planner, you have a calendar and you have a schedule and you better be out visiting you. You, as an elder, you need to do everything you think it's the preacher's job to do. Yeah, that's all I'll say about that. And there's some people like, well, Tony, I can't believe you talk so about elders. I don't really care what you think. 
let's see it, a Christian visits. And I'm, I'm and it, the word visit there, minister. Think about that. First John or First John, James one is it? What is what's the last verse in James twenty seven or so? Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this: to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction, and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. That's ministering. That's taking care of them. As Christians, we are supposed to be ministers. Yeah, verse 27. I couldn't remember how many verses were in James 1. <coughs> All right, folks, I apologize about the coughing. Uh, it'll get better, hopefully. Um, if not, I guess I'll just go the way of all the earth. Join the Christianity Now Facebook group. Don't forget to do that. Be sure and subscribe. Man, we just keep going higher and higher on YouTube. That's amazing. If you're on YouTube, be sure and subscribe. Uh, subscribe to Substack. And if you want to support the podcast, consider subscribing at Substack for $5 a month. But if you don't want to do that, if you just want to and, and incidentally, I feel weird. A lot of content creators, whenever people send them donations and stuff like that, they call their name publicly. If y'all want me to do that, I will. But I feel like the people that donate to the Cogitations Christianity Now, the Christianity Now plant platform and brand i don't feel like they want everybody to know it so i don't but understand how grateful i am to you so we have an individual in the chat today that sent the near churches at gmail.com a 25 dollars donation well not yesterday obviously but friday i am very very grateful for that and and just understand that i i'm i'm grateful i just don't call your names um so anyway, that's all we've got here, folks. Listen, I hope it hasn't been all gloom and doom. I hope I've said something to encourage you and to enlighten you and to make you want to double down and as cliche and trite as it sounds, and I don't care from what the source is, I, I want to encourage you to go out there and be the change that you want to see. And we won't have to have any ranty and ravey con uh, conversations like this anymore. Hello, Missy Malone. And, well, I did not hello, but thank you, Missy Malone. Have a great day. God bless every one of you. Be sure and subscribe to Cogitations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and TuneIn Radio. Subscribe to the YouTube. Subscribe to Substack and, and all that good stuff. God bless you. This has been Tony Brew with Cogitations, and we'll catch you on the flip side.